Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Transparent's Take on Sport. My name's Lewis Daniels, and joining me today is Liver Transplant recipient and Nottingham Transplant Football Club player Daniel Barnes. Daniel opens up about his experiences with primary sclerosing cholangitis, liver failure, having a liver transplant and recovering during a global pandemic. He also tells me about his return to full fitness and playing football again after his transplant, as well as the mental benefits of playing sport with other transplant recipients. If you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure you press subscribe or follow wherever you normally listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you'd like to follow the podcast on social media, all the links will be in the show notes. Before we get into this episode, I'd like to say another huge thank you to Neon Cricket, who very kindly sponsored me once again for the 2022 season, and have given me a code to share with you all that's slightly different to the one you may have heard before. If you use the code TTOSPORT, you'll receive a 20% discount on their entire range. That's T-T-O-S-P-O-R-T for 20% off everything at neoncricket.co.uk, and the website and the code are in the show notes in case you want to go straight from there to the website. I've been using their kit and it's genuinely the best I've ever used. So if you play cricket, why not grab yourself a saving of 20% ready for the new season? If there's a friend, family member, teammate, opposition player, a player you coach, or anyone else you'd like to share the code with, then please feel free to do so. Thank you once again to Neon Cricket and let's get back to the podcast. Daniel Barnes, welcome to Transplant's Take on Sport. Hi, Lewis, are you right? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Uh, Doing better. One of them months, I think. <laughs> People can't see the, the video for this, but uh, you are wearing a sling uh, for an injury that happened quite recently at the uh, England Transmount Football Trials. I'll let you do the talking. How did it happen? So we've been in the trials about an hour and a half and we've just gone on to um, to do some fitness tests. So we was doing shuttle runs. It was essentially seven shuttle runs at, di- at different distances. And I got onto the last one, probably five to ten metres from the end. And I lost my balance. And then, and just like me with my bad luck, I went over straight onto my shoulder and I uh, broke my collarbone. So that ruled me out of um, any football for the next two months and also resulted in me cancelling my holiday, which my wife was not very happy about. It's a painful one in several ways, that one. It's, it's, it's not a nice injury, having done it before. It's one of those that we were saying off air beforehand. When you're sleeping and you move your arm too much, it feels like it's hard to demonstrate without using my hands here. But it's it feels like it's the bones pulling apart if it's clean through, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just it's. I don't think I've had a good night's sleep since I've had it done. Every every 
movement is is magnified by the pain. You, you might feel like you moved your arm a, a whole meter. It might move the centimeter, but just because you're feeling every every last millimeter of that movement in the in your broken bone, it's just ten times worse. Obviously, it's fairly recent that you've done it, but have you got a rough idea of when you might be able to start building your fitness up and playing again? So they've said six to eight weeks by the time it's healed. So it'll be two weeks uh, this Saturday coming up. Um, so hopefully another four to six weeks. I might try and get on the bike before that. I've got a bike at home. I might try and do a bit more fitness with that. But as in going for playing football and combat sports, probably going to give it another at least the full eight weeks, maybe a couple more just to get back fitness fitness wise. Yeah, it sounds like the right thing to do, especially with whatever your, whatever your doctor says I what I would go for, obviously. But um, yeah, I mean, hopefully you are back soon. And do you have plans to try and get into the England team again? Yeah, so I, I'm I'm hoping to be able to go back to St George's Park for another another trial. But I know they're doing drop-in sessions. Uh, they're going to do one once a month. So I'm going to jump onto that and hopefully get into contention for the call-up. Um, I know the guys are going out to Holland at the end of May this month. Um, I'd have loved to have gone, even if it was just supporting or in the development team. So I was just kind of losing the holiday was the main thing when I broke my collarbone, but then not being able to go and represent my country, which I think is probably one of the best things you can do as a sportsman or in any in any element to, to represent your country yeah. at any level, doing anything is a phenomenal achievement. So hopefully I do have that chance in the near future. Fingers crossed that you can get back and, and do get into the team. And the reason you're eligible for the team is because you've had a liver transplant. So when did you first find out that something was wrong with your liver? Um, it was it was quite a weird one. So in 2017, I was getting married, um, and I started to lose weight or think I was losing weight for the wedding. I, I basically picked up my football, started to cut out all the junk food, and never got to the wedding day. It was fine. Lost my weight. I was happy. Then I kind of picked up, carried on my football, but I wasn't so careful on what I was eating, but I was still dropping weight. So I ended up dropping about four stone in wow. in about eight months. And it got to a point where my wife and my mum had a conversation says, oh, we need to get him in. We think he's got an eating disorder. I was like, I haven't got an eating disorder. It's just, just not hungry. Um, so I go for a blood test and I went for a blood test on Boxing Day or uh, the day after that. And I remember the clearest day I get a phone call. Um, just about, it was the 30th of December, get a phone call. Um, and it's the doctor who says, oh, where are you? I says, I'm just, just at home, just about to go to the cinema. And he goes, no, you're not. I says, what do you mean? He says, you need to get to hospital now. And I says, can I not come out to the cinema? Because it was a new, the new Star Wars film was coming out. So it's like, I want to watch <laughs> it before I see, see the spoilers. So he says, like, no, you need to come in now and go. To, don't go for any. Go through Amra, and then we'll go from there. Um, so I go in, have the blood test, and after about five or six hours of waiting, the consultant comes up to me and says, right, have you had these other symptoms? And it was a case of have you had itchy skin? And I kind of thought, well, yeah, but I don't know if that, that could be anything. That could be stuff in the air. That could be washing powder, new clothes. Do you know what I mean? It could be anything like yeah. that. Yeah, but when they started adding up the symptoms, so you've, you obviously had, had a little bit of jaundice in the skin, the the itchiness, the, I was quite snappy as well. I was quite aggravated. Now everybody says that I'm an, an angry man, but this was just kind of above and beyond. Um, and when they said they linked all these together, says, "Oh, we believe you've got a um, an illness called primary sclerosis cholangitis, which is shortened to PSC." Um, I'm not going to make you say that anymore because it's, <laughs> it is a mouthful. It took me it took me about best part of six months for my diagnosis to repeat it. Um, so that involved me staying in hospital for a, about a week, having quite a few tests, and they confirmed it. Now, 
the initial diagnosis was we give you 10 to 15 years before transplant. So that's where I went from there, kind of. So that was 2018. Um, 2018 was all right. Mice get on holiday, go away. And then towards back in 2018, it was something wasn't being right. So I started to get a bit more jaundice. The itchiness was coming back. The fatigue, it was just getting worse. So I, had to, I went back and see my consultant and said, this is, this is what's happening. Where do we go? So I'm right, going to do some bile duct dilation, which is they put a tube down your throat. They, they put a balloon in try and open your bile duct so they can help the flow, which is basically reduces your jaundice and your sclerosis of your liver. Uh, did that a few times, didn't really work. So they went in with a stent. But what, after they, I said they did that around Christmas and then into into February. But what they found out was that I was never going back to my previous levels. So I was kind of, every time I was getting better, I was at a higher, a more, I don't know what the best way to describe it is, but it's more of a a high level of illness. So my, mm-hmm. my base level was kind of more close to illness than anything else. So I had, I think I had four stents in in total, and I remember being in hospital one day, and I and I was I said to my mum and I said to my wife that were there because consultant came around and says, I can't do this anymore. Uh, says I can't keep going to hospital. I can't take a week off work because I get ill after it. I said we need to see what's next. Says right, we'll get you and we'll, we'll speak. To, we'll get you and you'll come see the transplant team. And we'll go from there. So go see the transplant team. It says right, we want to bring you down to Cambridge. Um, we want to, we want to do some tests on you, see what your viability is, if you if you're going to be a viable candidate, and they go for there. So I had that, and then around June, uh, end of June, beginning of July, I got put on the transplant list. It's quite quick considering that you've been told that sort of ten to fifteen year wait before a transplant. It's something I I can relate to through an know mine's kidney, but. Obviously, you look you look things up online. Not that you should, because everything seems the worst on there. But you think, I thought I'm pretty stable here. I've got maybe 10, 10, 15 years, like you said, and then suddenly it comes round. So, how long after your diagnosis was it before your liver actually failed? Um, so, I think the worst I got it was um, it was November, end of November two thousand and nineteen, and I'd I'd got I'd gone really yellow. Like this is Homer Simpson kind of like colours. It was it was mm. really bad. I remember going into hospital when I went in on on the, on the Saturday. So I spent the Saturday, Sunday, Monday there, and then Tuesday it was a transplant team. I remember, and it was probably I don't know, it's a two minute walk normally to get from the the ward to the transplant department meeting area. It took me about half an hour to walk, and I was like, I don't feel too good with this. Like really, really kind of exacerbated from the walk go and see the, the team and they went, right, your blood levels are at the worst they've ever been. Um, and we have we, we had a few chats between the doctors talking and he says, how do you feel? And I says, look, I says, I think, I said, I can't cope with this anymore. Um, and I says, that the way that it's going, I says, I don't think I'm going to be, I don't think you're going to do it in time. I says, I honestly don't think you're going to do it in time. I got really upset. Again, my wife, my wife and my mum have been my, the biggest amount of support I've had throughout this whole thing without them too I couldn't have done it so they were there they've come to all my appointments with me they were sat there they were they were crying um I says look I says I don't want to be here I don't want to be taking any more time up but I don't think you're going to get it I don't think it's going to come in time I just want to leave I want to get out of hospital and I want to go um and nine days after that I got the phone call to say that my liver was ready now they did tell me after that um I was put on an urgent list um I'm not sure I'm not sure if I was on the the next the next kind of next available one 
I was put on a higher category than what I was previously because I think and looking at the, the time scale of when it was, with how close we came, uh, my recovery came into the pandemic, then going into the pandemic, I think if I didn't have it then, I don't think I'd I'd have had it before the pandemic and I don't mm. know where I'd be, if, if I'm honest. So yeah, I was, I was very, very lucky. And now people do ask, why do you say you're lucky that you've had a transplant? Well, I was my state was, I got the phone call at seven o'clock about 20 well, 22 minutes past seven to be precise because i will never forget that time and five hours later i was in the operating theater now i've heard stories of some people that have waited um they've been on the wall for 48 hours they've been down they've been prepped for surgery and it's not been able to and I'm, that's how that's how i look at it now that how lucky was i that i had a phone call and was in the operating theater for within five hours it's it was amazing. Um, the only downside I will have of it was I did quite clearly ask my surgeons um, if I could be woken up that night because it was my team Forest were on TV. So I was hoping, so I said, if you can make sure that I'm awake for seven o'clock so I can get around, I can watch them play their game. The day after it was the, the, the Joshua, one of his Joshua fights, then it was a Manchester derby in the F1. So I was like, just make sure I'm awake for some of these and I'll be happy. I woke up after the the final lap of the F one, so I missed oh. absolutely everything. But I still shouldn't moan. I was in I was in a I was in a coma for about forty eight hours, forty eight seventy two hours. It depends how I look at it. Um. So yeah, it was. I'm just just the luckiest person in the world for it, if I'm honest. I says it. I could have been one of them people that ran into the pandemic, and when they stopped, and you, you don't know what would happen, would you? It's one of them things. Yeah, the, the timing on that is. It's key, and you, like you say, some people, yeah, like you say, why, why you think you're lucky? But you're right. It's just the type. It could be anyone. There's so many people, more more people than maybe a lot of people would realise. They're in the position that you've been in. I, I was almost in. Thankfully, mine was a living donor. It was not that time waiting for the call. But there's a there's a lot to take in mentally when you like when you're waiting. The the way you were at the time, thinking this might not happen. The the feeling when you get the call must be unbelievable. I I remember I remember I was in my old house. I moved house since then. But I remember where I was stood. I remember what I did. I remember exactly how that night went. Because uh, I remember my my wife. She was at the gym and she for this one for this one time only. She'd not taken a a personal phone. Out. She took a work phone out, and I says and luckily that I had both numbers saved. And I went, you need to come home. And she managed to get home from the gym. And I was still sort of in the same place. Like it was complete and utter shock that it was mm. actually going to happen because you, you can prepare yourself that this transplant's going to happen and how long it's and you know what you're going to do and how you're going to be proactive and you're going to get down there you're going to be happy. But I froze for a good twenty minutes in that same spot. My wife came even though my wife would come home. She went, "You're going to get ready. So I'm going to get. I'm going to get ready." She'd gone upstairs, had a shower, come back down to me, and I was still in the same place. I was that shocked and I was that it was that taken a taken about by me. It was it wasn't fear that it was the fact that it's actually going to happen. Yeah. I, was, I was never scared of it. I was never worried about what's going to happen. I knew that it was it was going to, once it was going to happen, it'll be a million times better. And no one, if you haven't been through it, like anybody that's livers, kidneys, hearts, lungs, once you kind of get back on your feet after that, you're like, this is so much better. Even in your recovery exactly, stage, yeah. it's, people won't understand what we've, what we've been through and what other transplant recipients have been through to to realize just to be able to get up out of bed after the transplant it's such an amazing feeling and 
yeah, it's 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 just just that feeling, and people won't understand it. People think it's just it's just another operation, but it's not. I, my, essentially, my whole life w- w- was given back to me by somebody's um, somebody's generous gift, which I can never repay. Do, do, do you know what I mean? It's it's one of them things. You have that moment of realization afterwards where you you that you think you you don't. Well, in my case, anyway, I didn't realize how ill I was until afterwards because I hadn't really done it it affected me but I still thought oh fine but then every little milestone that you get after the surgery like you said getting out of bed for example you realize it's a reality check how lucky you are to be there and I can remember passing water urinating is key after a kidney transplant to show some form of, of success in it working and my bladder got blocked and the they'd put this three-way catheter up there and then the moment where i'd be able to i'd, I'd weed myself for the first time not weed myself we're doing it into a, a bottle yeah. for the first time i remember just going yeah i did it i did it i did it and it's just it's little things like that isn't it it's it like it says it might it might seem like nothing to other people but do you know like it says one, th- one of the big things for me was being able to to walk down to the shop being able to not to say oh Fran, can you go grab me a drink from the shop? I want to. I says, I want. You know what? I want to be able to to get out. And even if I was using a walk-in frame or, or even going in a wheelchair, just be able to get down there and then get a drink. You're thinking, that's it. I'm out the hospital, but I'm off the ward for a minute. I'm fine. I can do this. And what you what you said there, you don't think you realise how ill you are. But I've got I've got photos of pre-transplant when I was in in the coma. I look at it. I was thinking that can't be me. I can't be this well after mm. being that ill. And you also appreciate how ill you was because you, you've kind you kind of got a smoke screen in front of yourself when you are that ill to protect yourself. Like you don't want to believe you're that ill. You're thinking, oh yeah, it's just not, it's not as bad as it is. But when you've had it, when you've had the transplant, I says, even going, going to the toilet yourself, getting out of the hospital bed to come in home. It's like, be able to see, seeing this as a milestone shows how ill I was. And it's just, is is the feeling that you can't describe? You can't describe it yeah. because it's that self, it's the the self proudness you have of yourself, and just like the happiness and the elation that you've got that makes you feel so much better about yourself. Hmm. And you, you mentioned earlier on that you you in that position because of the the, the generosity the, that somebody else had said they would donate their organs when they die. I know a lot of people get in contact with the family of the donor, or some like to, some don't. Have you? Is that something you've done or want to do? It's something I want to do. Um, I think, especially over the last couple of years, especially with the pandemic, I, I didn't want to kind of write to them and say, "Oh, thank you, you've, uh, thank you for your generous gift." But all I've done is sat at home for the last two years and not been able to do anything. I want to kind yeah. of go and say, "By the way, I've been able to do this. I've been able to, if I was lucky enough to be to be chosen for you know transplant football to represent my country to if I went to the world for the transplant games or just something even like I said I've represented my my hospital I want to have something like that in it to say to to make sure make sure they know that they hasn't gone to waste if you don't, if you know what I mean not that mm. I feel that it's gone to waste but I want them to to know that how much how much more than it is than just just an organ because because yeah. like I said as I said before some people don't appreciate how much just that organ is it's not just another operation it's it's a, new, it's a new way of life yeah you have to go to the hospital every so often you have blood tests you have to you're on your constant medication but that's giving you a new life and i want to be able to show that this new life that i've been given is being lived 
kind of to the max and being able to prove that this is what you've done. I couldn't have done this without you. Mm, definitely, yeah, absolutely. And sport has been a part of your life since you transplanted. We've played football together. You went along to the England trials. How often were you playing sport before your illness? Was it a large part of your life? Um, I, I don't play in an 11-a-side team. Um, I just play five-a-side. And I was playing probably two or three times a week. Um, and I was playing that probably to a couple of weeks before my transplant. That's before I got admitted into that in the hospital, which I spoke about earlier. And I, I remember a lad, he basically turned around to me and said, do you feel okay? And I said, I don't really feel too good. And he says, just take a minute on the side of the pitch and just take a breath because you don't look, you look he said you look like it's going to pass out and you obviously your skin colour is not the greatest. So I got to about to about two weeks of playing. I was playing two or three times a week. And obviously with my recovery, I kind of went for the recovery. And as soon as I came about two months after operation, I went to the gym, started going to the gym and doing very minimal stuff. So I might walk a kilometre on the treadmill. I might do... Um, ride two kilometers on the bike and they might do 10 lengths or something in the pool just to get me started on that but the problem with my recovery was or not probably probably helped in some instances might have helped me we hit the pandemic so all the gyms were closed all the i wasn't able to go back to football but that yeah. kind of might have given me a bit more time to to recover because my scar have been they've been in that scar i've got quite a big scar that's been in opened up four or five times through different operations right so i think with me having that extra two, three months through the pandemic to heal up, to make sure that I'm right, I was able to do a, do a bit more quicker after. We generally started to be allowed to have more than our one exercise a day. So mm. you can go out for a walk or I might go out for a run during lunch or I might go on a bike ride to see my grandparents or something. Then I could add a bit more confidence in my scar and my body mm. because I had that extra time to heal. Confidence is massive and like you say, making sure that you are right, taking that extra time because you're effectively forced to. It you can then like you then hit it properly and get get on with recovering and improving. I I know I'd hit six months by the time that happened, but it it does help because you don't get ahead of yourself too much. And you mentioned the scar there opened, opened up four or five times. Did you have some complications afterwards? So after so I've had previous surgeries because I had ulcerative colitis. So I've had a, I had my large intestine how that might be wrong i do apologize if anybody's listening and <laughs> is screaming at the at the phone now saying that's not right but i've had part of my colon removed um i've had my gallbladder um appendix and obviously my liver has gone um so i've had a few operations with that and then after my initial transplant they i went back onto the ward and there was an issue with my blood pressure it wasn't kind of regulating so they went in they did an mri scan they said right um, they took my wife in and said, look, the liver's not taking his body at the minute, so we've got to reopen him up, but there's a chance that he might not pull through. We don't know what's wow. happening with the liver. So basically, they kind of told my wife that as I was getting wheeled to surgery. Now, got me back in, opened me up, checked everything out, and it just, I don't know what, something, they might have tightened a stitch up or something, and it all started working fine. Mm-hmm. And, and I always remember the surgeon, now he didn't have to do this, but the surgeon rang my wife at half past 10 at night to say that he was, I was fine. And she wasn't allowed to. So that was, my wife will, will always remember that phone call she had for the surgeon to take the time out after he'd been in surgery with me all day to say, right, he's fine now. He's going to be fine. And then I spent the day after that in the coma and the day after that I woke up. So yeah, I've had a bit of trauma there. And I think that, but like I said, having that essentially six months with no hard exercise to get that base, that base layer of kind of healing done, it was it allowed me to go out and hit it a bit harder, a bit more going forward given that was there a point where you thought that you'd reached your pre-transplant fitness levels or even exceeded them 
I think... See, I can't remember much now. I don't know if it's the same with you, but I can't really remember much about pre-transplant because that's kind of a bad memory and there's something in the mind that forgets the bad memories when you've got the good memories. Some so, of it's a blur. Yeah, so I can remember not. I can remember sometimes struggling at football and, yeah, the first couple of months, the first couple of games when I started playing again were a bit a bit tough. But then hmm. I found that I wasn't like near enough collapsing after games anymore. I was not collapsing, but I was just that tired after a game. I felt that my general fitness was a lot better and I was able to kind of do more exercise during the week. So I'd, where I'd probably been able to do only two, two or three games. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. At one point, I was doing four games a week plus a 5K run and then a bike ride. So, And I wasn't as tired because with PSC, one of the main symptoms is fatigue. If you go do an hour, an hour of football, I was I was straight into bed, or well, I have a shower straight into bed, and I sleep through to the next morning. That's twelve hours sleep, and I don't know how you can get twelve hours sleep, but I was still tired after, and that was a part of it. So it was part of it was like I could go play football tonight, but then I'm just pulling, pushing on the tide until on tomorrow and tomorrow. So it's, I had to kind of minimize it a bit more pre-transplant. But as I say now, is it's probably the fittest I've ever been. Quite a few people have said that. Some have struggled to get the fitness back, but quite a few have exceeded the point they were at before the transplant. Do you think it's a case of having, an, obviously, a newfound appreciation for life, but more hunger to exercise and look after yourself and maintain where you are? I think it's a mixture of both. Um, I have a, have a lot better appreciation for life. I think um, one of the things I did learn about being on the list is that call's going to come whatever you're doing. I did spend a lot of time kind of, oh, should we go here? No, I don't want to go there in case I get the call. Or should we do this? Oh, no, we can't do this because of the call. So I think what I've learned is just go and go watch football, go to a football game, go away for the weekend or something. It's 
And then if you want to go and exercise and you want to go and, or you, like I played in a few charity games pre-transplant and I'm going to do a few post-transplant, it's just, just go and do it. It's There's no point holding stuff back now. And that goes for sports, social, um, well, I'm married, but I was going to say love life, just like that. It's just getting out there and, and don't let it dictate you. You don't want to dictate you anymore. If you want to go out and run a, a marathon, not my bag, but go and do it. Do you know what I mean? There's nothing stopping you now. You know that you've been at the worst. You've been at the worst you've ever been, and you pulled through it. So you yeah. just go and do stuff like that. It's a good attitude to have. And I think I've said this a lot of times. A lot of people on here, but it's the community and the the way people are once you've been through this experience. Hopefully, people can take things or take inspiration from what you've said. Your attitude, the attitude of other people who've been on here, because it is a it's a great community to be a part of. And we've spoken a lot today about. There's a, it takes a big mental toll going through what you've been through, I've been through, so many others have been through. And there's a, a difference between running and playing football. There's, a, a, there's maybe less contact in five-a-side and in a transplant or pan-disability sport. But mentally, were there any barriers to starting to play again once you got back through a certain point in the pandemic and you sort of, like you say, being confident in your body? Yeah, I think... I think you're always going to be worried until you get that first hit, whether it's a ball hitting your scar, if it's somebody hitting you, or or what. And it's it's if you're playing a contact sport, if you're playing a sport like football, it's always going to happen at one point or another. I think once you've had it done, you're fine with that. I was a bit nervous to start with. But I thought if I'm gonna if I'm gonna live if I'm gonna try and play sport and play especially football. You can't if you're playing in five side. You do a rotation of goalkeeper. You can't jump out of the shot. Jump out of the way of the shot because it might hit your scar. So I, it's one of the things that I had to to get used to with the fact. And I says right, it's going to happen at one point. Or I'm going to get tackled by someone and then just go from there. And as soon as I got that into my head, I was just happy to. I was just happy to to go about it. Yeah, it, it was painful when I when I when I got the first the first ball hit my my scar. That was painful, and I did go down in the heap. I was like one of the Premier League footballers who went down diving. I was actually hurt. But then after that, nothing seemed as bad because that initial one is always your worst. And it's the same with tackles. Someone might shoulder behind you or someone might, as they're running past you, they might catch you in the stomach. Yeah, it hurt, but now it's happened. It's it's not holding me back anymore. I always knew the initial ones were going to be the worst. Hmm. Have you had to adapt in any way? It sounds like maybe not, but such as, for example, trying to think what other people have said. Like, this is more, I suppose it would work for liver as well. Running, but having your arm near that area to think if if he's good, I'd rather it hit that or turning like if you're going to block a shot, for example, turning so that the opposite side is facing the ball. I do tend to turn my, when I go to block. I kind of tend to turn away, so my score goes down centre line score to my right hand side. So I always tend to like lead with my left side if need be. But um, yeah, it's it's one of them things. You you, you know what you. You know how it's sometimes it's subconscious. You just do be subconscious. Yeah. Consciously you do it. Like someone has a shot, you don't you won't realise it, but your hands down across your scar or you you might run on say if you're going to tackle someone, you might run on their right hand side. So if they kind of fling their arm out, they're hitting your left hand side. Yeah. But it's I don't make it a concerted effort to do it, it's just whatever like subconsciously happens now. Just completely natural. Yeah. How important mentally was it to return to football after your transplant and especially joining Nottingham Transplant Football Club, which maybe have more of an impact on your mental state, playing with other transplant recipients who know what you've been through? I think footballers, I've always loved football since 
I can remember. I, I don't know what the first match was. I remember I went to watch a, a match. I think it was about five with my dad. But I can really start remembering around the 2000, especially 2001 or 2002, when I remember vividly watching David Beckham score that free kick against Greece. And I was like, that's it. I'm hooked. I'm going to watch every yeah. single game now that I can watch. And I still do it now. During the pandemic and during recovery, when I wasn't able to play, I watched it. And mm. it's just that if you're playing, it's an hour. If you're going and watching football, it's an hour and a half, two hours where you just don't have to worry about anything else in the world, where you can literally just go and enjoy yourself. And either you're watching the football or you're playing it or you're cheering on other people. And especially, like I mentioned, they're playing with other, other people that have had transplants, especially the Knott's transplants team. It's talking to people. There's a lot more camaraderie. The more like support you. So if you if you're kind of a bit, if you're holding yourself, you know, all right, he might have banged himself there. So they kind of said, Let, right, just take five. We'll bring somebody else on. Go from there. Whereas if you do it on a normal five aside or six aside, they don't care. They just see it as a, as an operation. They just see, oh, just just get on with it. Whereas the compassion that that our community has for each other. We never pin the pin the blame on someone. We never point a finger. We're always there to help one one another out. Yeah, and I think that's the main thing that helps. It's not you don't have no one. And I've not seen I've seen this in the game I've played, and then the um, the, the the trials. Not there's not one criticism from our players from people from our community. Now there's a lot of criticisms from other people that don't tend to it, especially if you're playing in a league five aside. You someone you're playing against, and they hit you, and you go down. They're like, "What's he doing? Why is he diving around?" Yeah. He looks a bit of a fool. But little they know that you've got a scar that runs across the stomach and even in the littlest touch will affect you. It sets your mind going. Yeah. So it's but like I says the being able to play football with people through who have been through the same kind of things, it's just it's just great. It's it's you look out for one another. You know, like the first game we played, there was we all knew what our strengths and weaknesses were now and you know how to look out for your players now. If you know that there's somebody that's, is quite reckless on the other team, you kind of make sure that you protect your team against him. You don't let them steam into the back of him when, they, when he's got the ball or you don't pass it so he's going to have to, this guy's going to, is going to cane him or something. You make sure you look after your team and like I said, it's, it might be in other teams, like 11 side teams, but I, I don't see it on the five side pitch. Everyone's got each other's back and we've said this a lot on here in the past, but from you, which is still, because of the pandemic, relatively new like I am to this this world, this new group of people, but it is a family, isn't it? It's a yeah. big family feel. Yeah, like like I says, it's I I I, sp- I don't know. Simon's been on here before, and um, I I spoke to my my transplant team, and I said, look, I want to who do I speak to about the the transplant games? And this is uh, right. This is Simon. Speak to Simon. So I spoke to Simon. Says, do you like football? Yeah, you need to come down to this. You need to do this. I'll sort this all out for you. And as soon as I I'd not spoke to Simon ever before this, but as soon as spoke to him, told him what I wanted to do with the transplant games and playing football. He was like, right, you're in it now. You're one of us. You're not leaving. Yeah. We've got your back. We'll support you. We'll help you go on this. We'll get you to the England England trials. We'll get you to, then we'll go to the transplant games. Then you might be to the Europeans and then maybe you go to the world. Now the Europeans I think are in Oxford this year. And then next mm-hmm. year the world yep. the world's in Australia. Now for me to to be able to travel if I was lucky enough to, to be able to pick, just thinking you could go to Australia to represent your country, that's that's ridiculous, isn't it? When you when you look at yeah. where you was three three four years ago, when you was at your lowest point, and you're thinking, right, I'm going to go across the world, it's it's crazy, and that's that's the it's almost as I said, Simon, yourself, Ben, who was it on here the other week? You kind of pull you, they're all pulling 
each other in together to help each other. They've always got your back. They'll always say, "Ah, oh, we can improve. How oh, we can do better." And it's it's just it's just so much better than playing with random people. Is that that, that like I said, it's much more of a community and family feel. Definitely, you've mentioned a lot a lot in there, Simon. Who you can, you'll be able to hear from if you listen to, I want to say episode three of series one. If you'd like to hear more about Simon, his his journey with his kidney transplant, which is a very good listen, I would say. There's a lot of things to to look at and learn from and be inspired by. And there, as has been today and in every other episode that we've done on here, you've mentioned the Transplant Games there, Oxford European Games this year, where there'll be a GB football team and then the uh, the Worlds next year in Australia. Have you got plans to go this summer, if you're fit enough, and in the yes. future? And what sort of events would you like to take part in? Um, I won't mind some of the racket sports. I will do the football. Um, so I'm, as long as my shoulder is or my collarbone is fine, I will be going in July this year. Um, and then we'll see what goes from there. If I if I get if I'm lucky enough to be selected for the Europeans, I'll go there. And if I am even lucky enough to go to Australia, I'll go there. I'm not I'm not I'm at a point now where I don't want to say no to certain stuff because yeah. I did I did a lot of that during my time on the transplant list. And then the last two years, I don't want to give up these opportunities because I don't know when they'll come again. I don't know if I'll be able to go to Australia again to to go to represent either to represent the country on a holiday. So it's why yeah. I've these opportunities. I'm going to grab them with both hands. What sports have you picked to do this summer in the British Games? If you remember, I've done football. I've done squash. I think I'll have to remember when I did it with Simon. I cannot remember how many more I did. I, I, I think I signed up for quite a few of them. Are there some that you've played before, maybe some that you haven't? What I was told previously was that maybe pick one or two you think you might do well at and then have a go at a couple, see if you like it, meet new people, just have a go. I think he's signing up for the temp in bowling as well, which I was like, I didn't know that was a proper sport, but he says just sign up for it because it's something we can do. We can do. He can, he's, he's really, Simon's really enthusiastic and he, he will show you whatever event you got, he'll either know how to do it and what you need to do to compete in it yeah. or he will pass you on somebody else. So, I wanted to do a squash. I sometimes play with my brother, which he's he's very good compared to me, but I thought I'll have a go at it. I think there is some of the stuff I've missed out on because they are clashes with the football and some of the other sports. So that's where I'm a bit like, oh, I don't really, don't really want to miss out on it. But it's either football, which I more preferably enjoy rather than, yeah. rather than do that. I mean, hopefully you can be there. Hopefully you can compete and you're fit enough to do it and you can, you can do well. Hopefully win a medal for yourself. And... A little bit of competition with other people who've been on this podcast before. It is time for the Transplant Take On Sport quiz, which uh, each week I'll ask the guest four questions based on a sport of their choosing. One is a which is higher, there's one true or false, one what happens next, and one who am I. The aim is to score as many points as possible, and I'll keep score as the podcast go by. There's been a variety of scores in here. There's been, I think we've had a two, two, threes, and fours, I think, so far, out of four. What, what should we get you for zero? <laughs> Hopefully not, but uh, we'll see. It's Your sport is football, if people haven't guessed already. It's been the main focus of this podcast episode. Are you ready? Yep. Let's go for it. So question one, which is higher? Is it the highest number of recorded own goals in a match in the history of football? or the highest number of goals scored by a single player in a single Premier League match? Single player in a single Premier League match. Number of sco- goals scored by a single player in a Premier League match. This was uh, by Andy Cole, fellow kidney transplant recipient like myself. Alan Shearer, Jermaine Defoe, Dimitar Berbatov and Sergio Aguero have scored five in a, in a match. And unfortunately for you, the record for the highest number of recorded own goals in a single match 
is 149. Oh, no. That's some definite match fix in there. <laughs> There's a story behind it. It's the uh, a Madagascan team called Stad Olympique de Lemon. I hope I said that right. Uh, they staged a protest at what they saw as poor refereeing against them in a previous fixture by thundering the ball into their own net over and over again in a league fixture against AS Adema. Adema. I hope I said that right again. The Madagascan Football Federation subsequently banned four of their players and their coach for the remainder of the season while warning the rest of the team about their future conduct. And that was only uh, 20 years ago. Jeez. 149 own goals. I thought he was going to say it was going to, oh, he was close, but it was six rather than five. But no, 149 is a bit of a... Uh... <laughs> Quite a hard question. It's a bit, bit misleading. That was... That was a hard one. I thought. I thought it's normally a tr- sometimes they're normally quite close, but that one was just a landslider. I saw that stat earlier and thought, how? For one, how? But t- that's never going to be beaten. No, nah, never. Tough start. Question two is a true or false, and your statement is: the phrase "park the bus" was coined by the Chelsea players when Jose Mourinho had to park the team bus at the training ground. They're quite tough questions this week. I may have gone too hard here. I see I got all Ben's right last week. <laughs> four out of four. Yeah. Um, I would say that's false. Correct, it is false. I'm not sure where it came from, but it's not that. It wasn't Jose Mourinho <laughs> parking the bus. Literally parking the bus. So one out of two, half right so far. Question three is what happens next. And as always, unfortunately, you won't be able to see the video, but I'll try and describe it the best I can. And if anyone would like to go and watch the what happens next clip, that will be linked in the show notes of this podcast and the description on YouTube. Um, and if I can get it on Instagram, that may be where it is, but sometimes copyright gets in the way and that can't be shown. So question three, what happens next? And this is multiple choice, three options. During a Premier League match between Birmingham City and Newcastle United in 2003, referee Matt Messias blew his whistle around the halfway line to award a free kick to Newcastle on the edge of their own box. But what happens next? Is it A, when signalling who the free kick was awarded to, the referee catches Robbie Savage in the face with a heavy elbow, knocking him to the ground. Robbie Savage playing for Birmingham at the time. Is it B, the referee runs to where the foul took place too quickly, losing his footing and falling flat on his back? Or is it C, the referee suddenly stops, leaving Robbie Savage with not enough time to follow suit, clattering into the back of the referee with both of them falling on top of each other in a heap? So is it A, he elbows Robbie Savage in the face, B, he falls over, or C, uh, Robbie Savage runs into the back of the ref. I think it's A. It is. Robbie Savage does get elbowed in the face by a referee. See, as a Forest fan, I, I could watch that on repeat when it was his time at Derby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was on Soccer AM not long ago as well. It, it, I think it's quite shown quite regularly on there. Yeah. He he actually required treatment at the time, but thankfully he saw the funny side, as did Alan Shearer, who held a red card up to the referee. <laughs> and Robbie Savage stood up and gestured as if he was to show him a yellow. But... Uh, very hard hit. If it's a player, it's a red. Yeah. <laughs> uh, arguably a but red. We've seen, we've seen how Robbie Savage has gone down in the past. I think it might have, it wouldn't have been that hard. <laughs> Unintentional, but it, have a look at the show notes. Yeah. Uh, there'll be a link there. It's a, it's a stiff elbow. Question four, who am I? Two out of three so far, going well. So who am I? You'll get four statements about a player. Uh, at the end of those four, you can have a guess at who you think it might be. And uh, if you don't get it, then there's another three clues with another three guesses. So four guesses to guess the player. Yeah. So this person was born in June 1971. They've played in France and England. 
They've won the World Cup, European Championship, Confederations Cup, and two Premier League titles, amongst other trophies. Uh, and they've played for Manchester United. Any ideas? So born in June 1971, played in France and England, so clubs in France and in England, won the World Cup, European Championship, Confederations Cup, and two Premier Leagues, and played for Manchester United, which is where the two Premier League titles came from. Any ideas? I think I potentially know who it might be. Is it Fabian Bartes? It is Fabian Bartes. Three out of four. It's Fabian Bartes, who is an interesting character. Yeah, very very short for a goalkeeper, if I remember rightly. Uh, he was slightly before my time. Uh, only just, but uh, he would kiss the head of Laurent Blanc before Champions League games. Cut his, cut his sleeves off with scissors before the game. He became a motorsport driver. He did the Le Mans 24 hours. I actually have seen that. I was watching that on... I was watching Sky F1 and I'd, his name did pop up and I had to Google it to make sure that was the same person. He's, he's a... I think he's an amateur endurance racer, so he does them 24-hour ones. He was doing it. He did one at Spa, the one I saw, which is ridiculous. It's, it's an interesting career, Fabian Bartes. He, he wouldn't do Premier Leagues, but United fans like myself, well, I didn't really watch him, but I'm not sure he's remembered too fondly. He had a few calamitous games. Mm. Yeah, I can, like I said, I can remember him in the um, the early noughties when he was when he was playing for him, and it was. Um, he was quite temperamental. Obviously, I think his height. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the right person. He's quite, he's not what you call as a tall goalkeeper. So I think he always he used to get chipped quite a bit. But um, yeah, like I said, he did make quite a few mistakes at, at certain points. Just having a look now, see if I can find out how tall he was. Uh, oh, five foot eleven. Yeah, so he's not over the six foot. So rare for a goalkeeper nowadays. Yeah, very. Like I said, yeah, I can always remember. He, he's probably one of the only keepers that couldn't touch the ball when he put his hand up. <laughs> Three out of four on the quiz, not not bad. Very good score, and you I've not got the scores written down anywhere, but you'll be right up there. And one more question before we go. It's been a it's been a pleasure to chat to you. And your attitude on life and dealing with the transplant and everything you've been through is really commendable. And I hope people take inspiration from it going forward. One more question before we go, and it's the question I ask everyone at the end of the podcast. What's one piece of advice you'd give to someone facing a transplant? Um, I would say continue to live your life whilst you're waiting for the transplant and if you want you're on the list as well stuff can always be rebooked um days can always be kind of days out can always be rescheduled but you never you can never make their memories again like it says i did i i made the mistake of being too scared to be put too far from the house missing out on days out weekends away holidays um just live your life and make sure you enjoy it don't don't put it on. It's as stressful time as it is. Make sure you can fill that with some nice memories and some, uh, some good times out. Very well said. And there we go. If you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure you tell your friends, tell your family, anyone you like. Make sure you share it on social media. Help to spread the word. It all means a lot and helps more people listen to this podcast, which I would massively appreciate. It'd also be a huge help if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, which are the most used apps to listen to the podcast on. If you could go on there and rate the podcast five stars on the show page, and if you rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts, all five-star reviews will be read out in this section of the podcast. Make sure you go and follow Transplants Take on Sport on social media. Uh, Facebook and Instagram are at Transplants Take on Sport pod. Twitter is at TTOS pod. You can get in touch through there if you'd like to come on the podcast as a guest like Daniel has today, or you, you'd like to recommend somebody to come on that I'm able to get in contact with. You can also email transplantstakeonsport at gmail.com. Thank you once again to my guest today, Daniel Barnes. I've been Lewis Daniels, and you've been listening to Transplants Take on Sport. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.